0: Benfica Nation, welcome to another episode of Mr. Benfica. This is episode 155. I'm your host, as always, the Mr. Mike Agustinio. And it is a very, very cold Wednesday night here in the northeast corner of the United States of America, here in central Massachusetts. It is very cold. Um, but you know what? I can't complain. Do you know why I can't complain? Because Befica are eight points clear, top of the table tonight. And um, we had a really hard match this weekend at Vizela. I'll talk about that. I think there's um, quite a bit to talk about there. There's quite a bit to unpack. And I do think that uh, our opponent do deserve uh, their credit in this one as well. Uh, I've rewatched it now. I've looked over it a little bit. And there, there's something about this Vizela side. Just about every time we see them that makes it. That just makes for a very difficult opponent and um, hats off to them, even though, you know, their beloved manager, Alvaro Pacheco, is not there anymore. Now they're being coached by Tulipa, the one time one uh, somewhat of a phenom of a youth player, was a star for Portugal's Under-20 World Cup winning sides in, in I think, in 89 Um he was a was star in either 89 or 91. Uh, he was on one of those teams, and he was a, a prolific goal scorer. Um, also, his managing uh, career, his biggest highlight is probably taking Shavsh to the cup final, oh, what, 10 years ago now? Probably more than that, actually. Maybe uh 13 years ago when Shavs played Porto uh, he took Shavsh who were at that time in the second division B which doesn't even exist anymore i guess it's today's uh Liga 3 today's Liga 3 when they were in, at that level he took them all the way to the final so it's uh it's it was a tough match it was a well coached team a disciplined team um a full house as can be expected a little shenanigans go on but that um that comes with the territory as we know by now uh, we know that we're when we enter the pitch we're playing against more than just our opponent okay um, there's other factors at work and with Benfica leading by eight points now it is no surprise that the Portuguese media is having a field day and um, all these I'm gonna use the term fake news is 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 running rampant on all the media sites right now. Uh, the club's just being attacked from every angle. It's old news. It's things that have already been hashed out, things that have already been disproven before. They're reopening old cases. This is anything to des- destabilize Benfica. This happens every single time Benfica get ahead in a competition, get ahead in a league. Where were these allegations the last three seasons when we were nowhere near the title picture? Where were they? Of course. Of course, they save them for moments like this, for times like this. Anything to destabilize us. And to be honest, um, this team is, is is strong. This team has a great uh, cohesion. And I'm not... the Of all the things that worry me about the next match on Friday against Fumley Cohen Deluge, the fact that Roger Schmidt won't be on the bench is the least of my worries. This team is so well coached that I don't think that's going to make much of a difference. I, I'm going to be very, very honest with you. Um, his his assistants have been with him a long time. They will pretend for a minute that there is no communication. Um, we've seen when we, you know, the various times we've seen Sergio Conceição suspended and sitting up in the tribuna and and we see you know his his assistant with the with the earbuds in and we we can see them talking to each other and I remember one time on Goal TV here in the United States um, the commentator in English I don't remember which commentator it was but he just said you know you're not supposed to talk to them right you're on camera talking to each other It, it, it becomes so obvious so let's pretend for a minute that they're not that that's not possible. I still wouldn't worry. Even if Roger Schmidt weren't allowed in the luge on Friday, I'm not concerned uh, about that per se. His staff is is, is top notch, and they work. They've worked together a long time. They know. They know. There. Everybody is on the same page in this Benfica team. So from staff to players to even you know even upper management to the board to the president. This is this is the most united I have seen this team. And if you watched the gala last night, by the way, the gala, happy birthday to our club. Happy 119th birthday spot Lisboa Benfica. The gala was fantastic. I know it's not everybody's uh it's not everybody's cup of tea, but I did get a chance to watch it today. I put it on in the background while I was working and it, it was quite well done. Um, it didn't have, you know, the supporters in the auditorium, so to speak, but all of the athletes there, all of the staff, you know, enjoying an evening and um, celebrating the club, celebrating our benfica right? And um, a- awards won by various athletes and uh, coaches. Congratulations, Philippa Patel, the manager of the women's football team. She was the, the manager of the year, or the coach of the year at the club. Um, Kosh spoke well and this and fernando pimenta our our olympic uh go, our olympic medalist um and world champion kayak racer uh told the players this was my favorite moment he looked at the the footballers he looked at Otamendi. he looked at geral and he said they're going to try to bring us down but you guys are an example not just for the fans you're an example for all of the athletes in this room he goes keep working and, and use the phrase a test Helva or something even eat the grass if you need to keep going we're almost there and you can see that the entire club is behind each other. there is not division in this club you don't have the football sector fighting with the basketball sector fighting with the athletic sector fighting with the Olympics you know the rowing and the the judo and the rugby. And the roller hockey and every other volleyball, um, the usually dominant volleyball team that that didn't win any awards last night, which is the first time in years, and it's not because they're not good; it's because the rest of the club has just elevated its game and um, deserving. You know that the the men's handball team winning the the EHF. Uh, europe league last year um bringing an international trophy to the club our youth league champion you know uh junior football team that not just won the youth league but then won the intercontinental cup under 20 in uruguay against Peñarol. okay this was a year a calendar year from last February to this February, where this club has been very, very good. And now the football team, the men's senior football team, is up to that level of the club, and everyone is behind them. And that is why the detractors are working overtime to try to to cause some sort of disunity, some sort of instability. But we've got the guys in this team. We've got the manager. Like I said, we got the president. We've got the captain in Nico Otamendi, the vice captain in João Mariu. These guys have been around the block. Uh, you got a world champion and a European champion as your two captains. Okay? Experience galore. And then young talent that looks up to them. Um, do, do not get carried away with, with the fake news, okay? Don't even pay it any attention it's anything to destabilize this team and to cause some sort of breakdown we played a very very difficult match on saturday and we came out of it on the correct side championship seasons and when you win titles you need to win ugly sometimes that match in e- any of the past three seasons, Benfica walks out with a draw or even possibly a loss. Okay, the mistakes that were made would uh, would have in, would have not just cost us, but the team would have imploded. We know that we've watched this team long enough. This team didn't implode. This team hasn't imploded. And for all that went wrong, it just goes again. And, and you can be an attacking team and still get clean sheets. And my Cardinal belief, okay, my my canon, if you will, is that clean sheets are the first step to championships. We lead the league in clean sheets. It is no surprise we are eight points clear, top of the league right now. 14 clean sheets from 22 matches. Say what you want about the goalkeeper, okay? Say what you want. And there were moments that were scary in this match, but yet again, the ball stays out of our goal. Yet again, the job gets done. And when you don't concede, you are that much closer to winning than when you do. The problem in the past, the past couple seasons, was not always getting the goals. Yes, you know, we'd create chances and not finish and not be efficient, but we usually got one. Most times we got one. The problem was the two we'd give up or the one we'd give up late or we'd fall behind. Okay, this season... Uh, Many, many different obstacles have been thrown in the way of this team, and they have found their way each and every time, with the exception of the away match at Braga. But everybody has one of those. That game, that match two, three seasons ago, would have derailed this team, and this team just shook it off and went on. Okay, we can talk about referees. You can't get out of talking about referees in Portuguese football. Uh, unfortunately, and as you know, our rivals are now going to go on the attack because for once in their lives, they were on the wrong end. Well, I don't think it was the wrong end, but they were not on the what they view as the correct end of the referee. The president, that said, the VAR was going to bring the quote-unquote Verdad Sportiva, the sporting integrity, a sporting truth to Portugal. And he said, and I quote, watch how many titles they win, now that VAR is here. The, <laughs> the first time, the very first time, the VAR is not Video Aporto. The first time it comes in and it goes against them, and in every instance correctly so, they want to get rid of VAR. They use all of their allies in the media. They go on Porto Canal. They got their, their guy at this paper, their guy at that paper. It all comes out and They'll say that Benfica's got everything bought, of course. Um, every Even Pedro Henrique on Sport TV said that the only mistake the referee and VAR made was not sending off Pep for that animalistic challenge that nearly broke the Gilles Vicente player's leg. I don't know how his leg held up from that. That should have been a straight red, and it should have been a, you know, a multiple-match ban, to be quite honest. And then they honor him at the end. I know it was his 40th birthday because it was a day after my 40th birthday. And I know I'm one day older than him. Um, and I uh, clearly he's doing much better physically than I am. But <laughs> with that said, um, I understand he's an icon at their club. I'm not worried about their legend, their icon. But he should have seen red. Once again, he, he manages to escape red cards in Portugal. I now it, it 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 seems pretty obvious why he came back to Porto when he had other offers and could have played elsewhere. Um what 3 4 se- he's been back for 4 seasons now. But he he is he is every bit a image of that team. He's an image of his manager. He's in the image of his manager. And if you watch the UEFA Youth League today, the youth team took after their manager and took after their ca- their senior captain. As uh, losing to Liverpool and starting a fight afterwards, uh, the images are on are on Twitter. I I I retweeted them. You can find them on Twitter. Um, go to my Twitter feed at Michael Gustinho. That's at M I K E A G O S T I N H O. You can see it for yourself. Uh, it's just it's it's not the first time. It. it it's just something that is in the culture of that club from top to bottom, and I talk about what's in our club from top to bottom and what's in theirs, and there are two very, very different ideologies, two very, very different methodologies, two very different approaches to the same game, and um, you can you can decide for yourself which side you'd rather be on. All right, that that's my point on that. Let's uh, let's take a quick break here. Okay. Um, Let's uh let's hear Maria Lee's real quick. Cause she she uh performed at the at the gala as well. But uh, let's hear Reconquista, because it's it can almost sense it now. No, it's not over. I'm not saying it's over. There are twelve finals left to go. But man, does it feel nice to be twelve ahead and not eight behind at this point? I mean, eight ahead and not twelve behind at this point. Um, but tough matches are coming, no question about it, and. Uh, well we're just gonna have to take them one match at a time the same way we did until we got here uh, don't forget to to follow the podcast as well on on twitter at Benfica mr and on instagram at mr Benfica and check out www.mrbenfica.com for um, any updates there i got a new up-to-date table up and um and, yeah, do, go ahead and check it out. I'm going to take a quick break here for a little music, and I'll be right back. We'll get right into this match. This is Mr. Benfica on the PTV Media Network.
1: Yep.
0: Pass a passo, é duro. Temos muita história, mas ainda mais futuro
1: querer de todos nós a fé que não se explica Carrega Benfica Carrega Benfica Ouva nossa voz o querer de todos nós a fé que não se explica
0: And welcome back to Mr Benfica Episode one fifty five We're up north this week we're in Vizela in Caldas de Vizela, to be exact. Stadio de Vizela is the name of the stadium. Playing in front of 5,872. That is a full house in Vizela. And playing against a team that kind of has given us all kinds of trouble recently. And when I say recently, I mean like every time we've ever played them this century. Uh, Going back... We, we did have one easy match against them way, way back in uh, 2017 where we won 4-0. But then in the Portuguese Cup in 2019, we went up there. They were in the third division, and we eked out a narrow 2-1 victory in the closing minutes. We were actually losing in that one, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, we were behind uh, 1-0, and then we got a goal from RDT. Uh, yeah. Remember him? RDT scored, and so did uh, my cousin Vinny, Carlos Vinicius, uh, both in the final quarter of an hour to salvage the round and get out of, I think that was the third round of the Portuguese Cup, uh, when Vizela were still in the third division. And then uh, in October 2021, in the first division, we went up there in one one nil. Very difficult 1-0 victory. That was uh, last season, and then last March at home, they drew 1-1 with us at the Luge in another very, very difficult match, and of course, we were not playing very well at this point, and this was in the midst of our Champions League run, and this is the famous uh, eighth-minute sending off for Tarapt, that was last season, and then in the first half of the season, remember, we saved it late. Vizal again gave us all kinds of trouble. Again they took the lead against us. And it was and we had all kinds of trouble breaking them down. And if you remember it was David Nedge David Nedge with a individual play out of the ordinary. Uh he had not played well and then uh, this is what makes him special. He gets the ball one time along the right flank, cuts in, makes a couple moves, gets himself enough space to fire a rocket. And he would score, uh, with with 14 minutes to go, and then it was the famous Joao Mario penalty conversion at in the 90th plus 12, which his celebration ended up seeing him sent off. That was those are the last four matches, and since we those are the last four matches that, uh, excuse me, um, against this Vizella side. So we should have expected a tough one. I expected this one to be tough from the get go. And again, you're going to a difficult stadium and there is a presence of our northern rivals in the stadium. And I am not talking about Vizella fans that are true Vizella fans. I'm talking about the Super going sitting behind our bench. They were recognized right away. Uh, they, were, they got seats right behind our bench that were harassing uh, our manager all game long. And of course, when he finally gave in. To it when when is uh, I got to give them credit. They managed to crack. <laughs> they managed to get an emotion out of a German manager. I've always admired just how stoic the Germans are when when they manage, and I, I love their style. Um, I've come to love it. And Roger Schmidt is everything I want in a manager. And somehow those guys managed to get him to break his character. They managed. To get to get him for just a split second to let his emotions get the best of him, um, and for a moment he he lost his his Germanness there, but of course very professional um, and very sincere in my opinion in his apology after the match and in the presser uh, he talked about he talked about he accepted the red card he knew he shouldn't have done that and he knows that he listen we're all human and there and even Roger Schmidt has his limit as to how much. Uh, one man can take, of course. So let's look at the lineups here, okay? And we'll start with the home side for their manager, as I mentioned in the opening. Tulipa, his goalkeeper is speaking of Germans, Fabian Buntic. It he is a he's a 26-year-old, six foot four-inch goal, German goalkeeper um, in between the pipes for Wiesela. The right back is Igor Julião, the Brazilian uh, right back. A center back pairing, Anderson, a big Brazilian center back paired up with Bruno Wilson. Um, Bruno Wilson has played good matches against us before. I've mentioned that name a number of times. And the left back for Vizela is Kiki Afonso. Okay, uh, a good midfield, a good solid midfield three here with Claudio Mead anchoring in the in the hole, Samu to his right, and our youth our uh, youth academy product Rafael Guzu to his left. Rafael Guzzo was a player I remember him playing for. Uh, I remember him specifically with Benfica B, and before that, I remember him playing in the U twenty World Cup for Portugal. He was a player I was rooting for to get through to the first team. It never really happened. He was here at the time when you know B team players didn't really come into the first team. He was he was put out on a few bad loans in my opinion. I know he went to the Spanish second division on one to Reus, and um, he also had a good season on loan at Shavs once. And uh, here he is now making making his living for this Vizela team, and and he's a quite good midfielder. Uh, he's very important to them. He was a doubt going into the match, and he did end up um, he did up ending he did end up passing his fitness test before the match and getting into the eleven. And then in the attack, the striker is the Montenegrin Mil- Milutin Osmanjic, and he partners with. Kiku Bondozo. So you got two Kikus in this team. Kiku Bondozu uh, as the left-sided forward. And on the right, Nuno Moreira, another Portuguese forward. Uh, that is the attack for Vizela. For Benfica, no real surprises in the team. Uh, there was one change. So Roger Schmidt did make, make a rotation here. Uh, ov- obviously, Odi starts in goal. Ba, Otamendi, uh, Antonio Silva, and Grimaldo across the back. Aushnes is... This is what you guys all wanted. A lot of people asked for this. I had my doubts about this because I thought we should have kept riding the Chiquinho wave, um, and perhaps if he if he plays from the start, perhaps he he doesn't pick up an injury. But in the end, uh, it is Auschiness in Chiquinho's spot, playing in the double pivot with Florentino Luigi. um, and then you, the more attacking three man. Attacking midfield with Joao Mario playing in the number ten position, Gonzalo Guedes to his left, David Neres to his right. Although the three of them are very interchangeable, they weave, uh, um, they weave a lot, obviously, and um, they're a very well-oiled, you know, well-moving uh, machine there in the attack. And they're playing behind the striker Gonzalo Ramos. Uh, again, uh, Auschnitts two. Him. For me, this is a surprise because this is the second match in a row where I'm saying he was not at his best. This was not a good game for one. Frederick Aushniss, everyone gets a bad one. I'm not worried about it. Okay, I'm not worried about it. And you know what? We'll get to the Shikinu injury a little bit later. But I'm not worried about that either. I think Aushniss will pick up his game now. Um, it, the injuries are starting to pile up, though. And, uh, I was asked this and I, you know, I recorded the last episode in such a hurry to get it out before this match kicked off that, um uh, I failed to give my thoughts, um, which some of you had asked me on, you know, Julian Draxler's injury. It looks like he's all done. It looks, I mean, he was operated suddenly, uh, on an ankle. He went from being on the bench in the champions league to not being, not going in. I think he was warming up in that Champions League game at Bruges. Didn't go in. Uh, Joan Neves went in instead. To the next match, not being available suddenly, not even being on the bench. And then we find out he was operated. Frustrating, frustrating. Um, It just has to be a frustrating couple of years for Julian Draxler. I mean, anyone who can think back to World Cup 2014, I mean, how, how good. And how versatile and just how strong of a midfielder he was. He he never really got going. I thought when he scored that goal against Ryoav, we were going to start to see more of him. Um, I thought when Enzo left, it was going to be the opportunity for him to find his way in. But again, what has been happening this season is that when somebody goes down, somebody else steps up. Moratu and João Victor are down. Antonio Silva steps up. And never gives the spot back. Okay, uh, here Enzo leaves and Shitino steps up. You can say what you want about him, but he has been nothing more than competent. He has been incredibly competent in that role, and um, now he's injured as well. But I do believe that Auschnitz is gonna—he's gonna clean up his game, and you know he's gonna—he's gonna listen closely to the instructions of the manager and training, and. I think he's his midfielders are gonna his midfield partners are gonna help him out. Perhaps, perhaps we see Joao Mario slide into that spot, and Auschnitt goes back to his spot wide, and you can play with Rafa where where Joao Mario lined up in this match uh, because also now it sounds like uh, Gedge is gonna miss Friday's match as well as Chiquinho. Chiquinho with a injury to his left hamstring while uh, Gonzalo Guedes now is is carrying a knock on his knee. I don't really know the full extent yet, but um, I'm sure by match time on Friday, more will be available. But uh, we're going to be without both Chiquinho and without uh, Gonzalo Guedes, which makes Joan, uh, makes excuse me David Nerej's job that much more important. Joel Mario is probably going to be asked to do more than one thing. And um, it's uh, it's going to be a tough match yeah, because, again, I tweeted it out today. We already know who the man, who, who the referee, the man in the middle is. Of course, Porto's eight points behind. No surprise. Here comes Artur Suarez-Diaz on Friday, fresh off uh, being completely massacred by the German media for his performance Uh, In the Champions League game last week, uh, the uh, Napoli-Eintracht-Frankfurt match, if I'm not mistaken. I believe that's the one where the German, the usually very, again, very even-keeled, unemotional German press calling him arrogant and, and that he was a big display of arrogance on the pitch. No surprise, he's coming to the Luge on Friday. But let's get to last Saturday's match here, okay? Uh, if you could start, start well, uh, we get an attempt real early. It's Gonzalo Guedes, right-footed shot from the center of the box, blocked uh, by Bruno Wilson. Goes off for a corner. Nothing comes of the corner. Fourth minute, Gonzalo Ramos will earn... A free kick in the defensive half after getting kicked by Kiki Afonso, And again, a lot of fouls in this match. I'm um, looking now at the stats. Uh, there was, it, it was, it was a very Portuguese style, match. This was very much at as uh, they say on BFK independent. Um, when we look at it, there was a lot of delaying of the game, a lot of stopping, a lot of players going down, a lot of surrounding the referee by Vizela. These tactics were in play, no question about it. Um I mean, it was just it was it was going to be tough. We knew that. And they came in with a lot of the stall tactics that are so widely used in this league. And you know, it was it was bound to be difficult like I said. And I'm pulling up the stats and looking for the foul totals. Um, in Vizela saw only three yellow cards, by the way. Uh, But Mob is not showing the total fouls for some reason. Oh, here we go. Fouls conceded. Yeah, so there were 14 fouls one way and 10 the other way. This had a lot of stoppages um, and a lot of slow restarts. Just an attempt to continue to... To break up the rhythm of the match and try to keep Benfica from really getting going. And it started early. But in the 10th minute, Gonzalo Guedes gets his opportunity with the left-footed shot from the center of the box. But it's just a bit too high. He was set up by Auschwitz on that one. Uh, Guedes and Ramuz, the Gonzalo, combined very nicely in the 15th minute. A little give-and-go sends Ramuz in. But uh, his shot just on the left side of the the goal area of the six yard box, blocked by the goalkeeper, and goes out. Bafika um, still looks comfortable. Okay, even though they're not playing well, they look comfortable. And this team recently has has been trying. It seems whether it's intentional or it's out of necessity, has been managing the match more than just going for the jugular and going for the goals and going after. I think a lot of that has to do also with the very important fixture list coming up, we know we have a second leg in the Champions League that is right around the corner. And I think the reason Shikinyu doesn't start may very well be because of that, try to get him some minutes off as he's going to be needed or was going to be needed. We'll see now what happens. But uh, it it starts to change a little bit around the 25th minute and Kiki Bondozo gets a good opportunity. Left-footed shot from the left side of the box but Odie is there. This is a nice save that he makes, kind of with his uh, he do, He gets into like almost that hockey stance that goalkeepers can get into, and with his left leg down along the ground, his knee on the ground, and his left left le- his left left knee down, and his left leg stretched, he manages to save this shot from Kiki with Danger averted, and Befica. Come away the other way, trying to get, uh, trying to get one of their own. And Gonzal gets a right-footed shot after he's set up by David Ned. And Geds' shot, however, is saved by the goalkeeper. Grimaldo has his uh, effort blocked. Two minutes later, in the center of the area, a lot of blocked shots. Again, of, again, they're playing with deep lines. They're sitting in, and there is not much space to play through. And lately, teams are making it harder for Benfica to break them down. And part of the reason, it's not so much, it's not necessarily just a dip in form from Benfica either. I think um, the frustration is is a number of things. First of all, you're playing in a smaller pitch. Second of all, this team has already played against Roger Schmidt once. They have a lot. And at this point, we're at round 22. And teams have 20-plus matches to watch and the coaches can sit there and they're finding ways to break down the passing lanes, to cut down the passing lanes, I should say, to not allow players, you know, into dangerous areas. They're figuring out where they can let Benfica go and where they cannot. And Benfica, you know, needs to continue to be creative and it's not going to work every match and it's not always going to come off easy. This, This is match after match, okay? And the pressure... Augments every single match. It goes up. It raises every single match. Because as we move on, uh, these teams have, we're getting closer to the end of the season. Benfica is under pressure to get points. These teams, whether they're fighting off relegation, trying to get to Europe, or comfortable somewhere in between, want a result against Benfica. Every player wants to show his quality against Benfica. Because that could be a ticket to a a bigger club or abroad for more money. Um, This is all things that that go into the reality of what is playing at this stretch of the season. And I do have to say, Befica made it through another one of its traditional poor months. This time unscathed. We got through January and through February without, without losing in the league. These have been the two months, along with December. These three months have been our absolute uh, downfall. The last three seasons, and this season we're getting through it. All right, we'll move along then, and uh, we have a interesting play here. Um, it starts again. A, mis- a big for me. Everybody's gonna jump on on Odie for this one. On Vlachodimos, and yeah, watching him try to chest the ball is is nightmarish. I never want to see that. Um, when he, but we also, as a team, our players, they know each other. They're together every day. They play together and train together every day. They know each other's weaknesses. You should never be putting Odie in a situation where he has to bring a ball down with his chest. Two things are wrong with this ball from from uh, Antonio Silva. One, he's looping it up in the air, okay? Looping it up in the air, and you're asking your goalkeeper under pressure to bring this down on his chest or try to head it. And he probably, had he done that, I watched it again today. I looked at it closer. Had he headed it, and this is why he probably didn't, he would have headed it, no matter where he puts it, there was an oncoming uh, Vizella player running in those lanes, okay? They were ready to pounce on that if he tried to head it away. Uh, so he tries to bring it down on his chest it gets taken off his foot but a recovering Otamendi is able to break up the dribble enough that the ball goes to a, a different uh to a different Vizela player and in that that player was Igor Julio and he well he he misses you know Granted, there was by this point a Benfica player on each post, and Odisej was out blocking most of that angle. He needed to—people t- are acting like this was a, a tap-in he missed. No, he needed to put a good shot on here because the angle was was, was quite tight by the time he shot this, uh, thankfully, because Otamendi's recovering run broke it up, and and Odie got out and took this angle away, made himself big. And the other two Benfica players managed to get on the two posts. Uh, it was going to take a very, very good, well-placed hit to beat to to score a goal on this one. But I'm going to get back to my point on Antonio Silva. Two mistakes. One was lobbing it up like that and putting your goalkeeper, your goalkeeper, who everyone knows is not known for his ability to play with the ball. Okay, he's known for shot stopping, um, as we saw in this match, and. That was rule number one, but he broke another one of my cannons <laughs> as a coach. Um, one thing I never wanted, my I have no issue with players using their goalkeeper. It, it's absolutely necessary, and it's part of the modern game. But Antonio Silva needs to play that ball away from the goal. He need That ball needed to go to between that Odie's right-hand post and the corner flag, somewhere over there. Okay? He needed to play that ball in that direction, and then Odie would have had more options. He could have headed it out for a throw-in. He could have headed it out for a corner even if if necessary, or maybe he would have even had time for it to come down, and he could have kicked it. Instead, it gets lobbed on goal. It's It's literally a lob shot on your own goal. And if Odie obviously handles it, it's a free kick right there. If he misses it completely or if he tries to head it. And it goes back. It's going in the goal if he if he does almost anything else but what he did with it. This was a very bad situation to put your goalkeeper under. Um, but again, you got a 19 year old center back and they learn this is how they learn is by, you know, making mistakes and recovering from mistakes. So, you know, the lesson learned and um, Antonio Silva has always responded after a mistake. He he does not get rattled, and he did not get rattled in this one either, so uh, well done by him after this point. Moving on, that that miss led to, you know, it led to one minute later a Benfica breakout, okay, and it starts with Auschnitz winning the ball in, in the penalty area, so I'm going to give credit to him. Again, not his best match, not the best we've seen of him by any stretch but again crucial play here he breaks up a, a play again as the ball still lingers in the penalty area it gets free and you get Gonzalo Gedge running with it at pace and when Gedge is carrying the ball running at pace like i said to at the defender the defender does get a touch on it because of a heavy touch from Gedge but he kicks it off of Gedge and it goes right onto the run of David Netsch. David Netsch coming from the center to the left. Takes the ball. Picks up his head. Waits for a moment. Sees João Mario arriving late. And the most informed player in Liga Portugal then calmly with the inside of his foot. <laughs> Puts the ball between the sliding defender's legs right underneath him and out of the reach of the goalkeeper. 1-0 Benfica in the 38th minute and João Mario continuing to have a career year. Yes, last, last week he missed a pen and if you wondered how that was going to affect him, well, he responded this past Saturday. Scoring from open play again, his 13th of the season here, celebrates and, and maybe the the greatest image of the match is the shot as he runs over to the corner where the Benfica fans are celebrates with the fans. There is a whole lot of love going on there. Uh, the Benfica fans crowd the edge of the stand fans and players together celebrating this goal, a, a much needed, um, a leave you a much le- needed relief here in the 38th minute for Benfica. And that, uh, relieves a lot of the pressure now here's i got a little personal story here i'll, I'll share with you uh, how i experienced this match because uh, like i said saturday was my 40th birthday okay so this match is taking place on my 40th birthday i'm at my parents house okay having some cozida portuguesa okay and i had not had that in years had some cozida portuguesa um got my whole family there with my parents and um we go to to watch the match at What is 3.30 here in our time zone, um, 8.30 in Portugal, the kickoff time. And Goal TV is showing Ecuadorian League. And I start to panic. I start to sweat. And um, I don't want to have to watch the BTV, um, you know, audio, you know, where they where the commentators call the match, but you can't see anything. All you see is the is the screen with, you know, the lineups on it and whatnot. Um, that's not how I wanted to take in this match at all. I start to, uh, to get a little bit nervous here. Um, tell my dad to get out his, his fire stick and that we're going to, we're going to have to bootleg this one. But then I saw in the listings that the Benfica game was going to start on gold TV at four o'clock, half hour after it kicked off. So basically the match was shown on a half hour delay here. Um, so I, I so I, I. Obviously, tuned in at 4 o'clock and shut off my phone. If, if you want to know why I didn't tweet at all during this match and why I didn't interact with anybody during this match, that's why I needed to stay spoiler-free. Um, so I was even more anxious because I knew that this had already happened. I knew the re- in real time the match was in the second half already, and I'm still watching the first half. And when Joel Marius scores, um, a lot of relief uh, is let out. And I breathe a little easier, and I return to my cruzada portuguesa, and um, we move into halftime, and uh, well, move on to the second half then, and we and bef- before before I guess we get there, there's a foul and a yellow card to Antonio Silva in the 43rd minute, and I believe somewhere here, um, somewhere here is the yellow card to Nico Altamendi. Uh, I'm gonna look for that. It's it, I actually missed it. It's way back in the 18th minute, but I'll talk about that for a minute. The blue press is up in arms that this was not a direct red. Usually, the referee experts find ways to agree with them. Every single referee expert, almost every single one in in media. Agreed that this is never a red card. I mean, Otamendi comes in a little reckless, but he comes in from the side. He actually gets the ball, and it's on the follow-through that he fouls. Okay. Actually, with his slide tackle, he lands on the ball and goes through the player. He does get the ball. Okay. Overreaction by the entire Vizela's team. Someone from their bench gets sent off. Don't even know who. The. Company that produces the 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 matches produces the video doesn't even put the graphic up of who that was. It was somebody from the club. It wasn't the manager, it wasn't Tulipa. I don't think it was an assistant coach. It was a suit. I'm guessing it's it's either a club official or a, a sporting director or something of a, a football director, something like that. He sent off there all over the referee for it. Obviously the VAR looked at it because it was a potential. I'm sure it was a potential red card. Um but if you watch it, he is not there is not a clear and obvious goal scoring opportunity. Okay. He's running, it's 50-50 and he slides at the same time uh as the player from Vizela as Kiki Afonso gets his foot on the ball. It's you still have Antonio Silva running and getting in position to defend after in, in the event that Otamendi gets beat okay this is not a clear and obvious goal scoring opportunity referee did well to show the yellow card here and obviously i am certain I- if that was a re- if you had the clear and obvious goal scoring opportunity the var would have intervened on this one and otamendi would have been sent off that is a reaction from first of all from our rivals putting pressure on these teams and on these referees uh, because again they know that they're 5 points behind at this point they hadn't played yet and they know they need Benfica to drop points somewhere and even when we don't play well we find a way and that's getting frustrating they have upped their their game they have upped their pressure and this is why I said it was so important for Rui Costa to be firm to be vocal and <laughs> listen Pito da Costa blamed Rui Costa for for what happened to Porto on Sunday. Eh, Tiago Martins, we talked about him not that long ago. Uh, He was in the VAR booth that day and suddenly, magically, did a good job. And um, that is why, unfortunately, I wish it wasn't this way. This is embarrassing that that this is how this league functions and that... uh, if you don't put the, apply the same type of pressure that, that your rivals apply, you do lose out on these decisions. And I know that Rui Costa's words, he took a suspension, and rightfully so, and these referees don't want to be on the end. They don't want to be noticed for these things. They don't want club presidents hounding them. They don't want their names being thrown out. They don't want people visiting them at their at their workplaces. Okay, there's such a umbrella of intimidation, a cloud of intimidation in Portuguese football. There's no getting around it for too long. Our club stayed silent while these things happened over and over and over. And what happened this weekend, for better or worse, is fruit of Rui Costa standing up and defending this club publicly a couple of weeks ago. Okay. anyway, here they don't send Otamendi off. They know they would have to answer for it. And they don't want to be the referee that that you know is on that end when it's undeserving and there is no cause for a red card here. Okay, with that we move to the second half. Okay, and now in the second half, again, update in real time. The match is almost over, and I'm watching the second half. And I'm thinking, okay, we're doing all right. David Nedge with an opportunity from outside the box. He's set up by Gonzalo Ramos, 47th minute moving forward. And um, Odie makes a save here and there in the 51st, another, another save in the 53rd, another save in the 53rd. And I'm starting to get a little bit nervous. We're conceding corners. They're getting opportunities, they're getting set pieces. And my father, out of habit, <laughs> And um, this is why I kept my phone out of reach. So I didn't make this mistake. He tur- he happened to turn on his phone. He goes to Abala, and he says, all of a sudden he goes, you got to be kidding me. I don't know what happened on Abala, but Abala had alerted him and it got taken down immediately, but that they had alerted that Vizella had equalized in the 90th minute. And I looked at him and I said, what, what, what happened? It was one. And he goes, Oh, I'm sorry. One one in the ninetieth, and I said, "What? What?" And I, I'm losing it, and I'm like thinking to myself, "Oh, do I even watch the rest of this match?" Of course, I gotta watch this match. I gotta, I gotta do the podcast. But uh, and then he goes, he goes, "Oh, wait, no, one nothing again, and penalty. Oh, they conceded a penalty, and then finally, Abala, in you know, wherever he was reading this, <laughs> corrected their original alert." And it was, in fact, they were reporting Benfica's penalty that comes in, you know, in the 90th or just after the 90th. And he goes, no, nope, it's over 2-0, Benfica. And I sit back in my chair and I say, "Whoo, Phew. And I watched the rest of the match knowing we won 2-0. And the, I did not want to get spoiled, but it happened. And um, if I'm going to be spoiled, I want to be spoiled that we won and not that we drop points. Uh, so in the 60th minute, I watch Chiquinho come in for Gonçalo Guedes. Unbeknownst to me, Gonçalo Guedes has uh, got a knock here as he comes off. And in the same uh, stoppage, uh, Tulipa brings two off of his bench. So Pablo Ortiz replaces Rafael Guzu, And Matias Lakava replaces Nuno Moreira. Moving forward, uh, Mir, the, the center midfielder, shown a yellow card for a foul on Gonzalo Ramuj in the 61st minute in the 65th. It's another opportunity for Vizela. It is Osmajic, the striker who gets on the end of a Samu cross, but uh he miss he he misses it from very, very close range. This is the actually he doesn't miss it. This is the key the play here where he hits the bar and then the rebound falls to Odie's right. To Kiku Bondozu. And Bondozu hits the post. He hits a combination of the post and Odi's right foot. As Odi does get his foot down to save this. And uh, I do give him credit for this save. We would find out later after the match. Thanks to tweets and thanks to screenshots. That uh, Oz is actually in an offside position. That does not mean though that that the goal would have been ruled out. It does not always mean you're looking at it with the naked eye and you just never know what those lines are going to look like and what distance is going to be put there. So while I take some comfort in knowing he's offside, I mean, he's offside by the minimum and it's, it's pure luck that he's offside, just like it's pure luck that this thing came off the crossbar. Uh, If this game had become one, one at that point, It uh, could have been a much, much different finish. But again, I will give Odie credit for getting to that post and taking that away from Kiku Bonozu. Um, And even if the shot was better placed, it would have been saved by Odie there. Okay. Um, So we see the best and the worst of Odie, sometimes in the same play. 69th minute and 22-year-old American Alex Mendez comes on for Cloud Mead, the booked center midfielder. And the former L.A. Galaxy player, um, I believe he was an L.A. Galaxy player. He is 22 years old, and he indeed was an L.A. Galaxy 2 player who then went to IX. and now, um, after not breaking into IX's first team, finds himself on Vizella for the second season. Uh, He comes on, and uh, again, it's not pretty. I'm not going to sit here and say we're playing well, but at the same time, even if I don't know that we had won at this point, which I did, I'm not completely worried because this team uh, this year, I have a lot more confidence, a lot more faith in than I have had. I don't sit on uh, in 1-0 matches on the edge of my seat fearing every attack from the other team. In fact, last week when, when Boavista drew level, I said, well, we're going to have to get, we'll just get another one because this is what this team has made me and made I'm sure most of you believe at this point. Okay? This team has made believers out of all of us when they continue to do so. Even when the play is not up to par, but remember, just because something aesthetically doesn't look well, some sometimes play doesn't look well, doesn't mean it's a bad match every match is different there are there are different factors and again you're playing week after week against deep low-lying lines that are now in in peak form they're at the peak of their season and they are well organized well trained now they communicate You know, almost telepathically at this point, these players know each other so well. And that's why it's harder to break it down. It's going to be like this until the end. We may get a match here or there where we break out and score a couple with ease and really have a comfortable win. But expect more matches like this going forward. This is the nature of football. This is the reality of football, especially when you're battling on two fronts like we are. Okay, Moving on, and uh, we get a substitution in the 83rd. So Roger Schmidt sends on Peter, Petar Musa, excuse me, for Gonzalo Ramos. And Rafa comes on for David Nerge. Um, I hope Rafa is completely healed up for Friday. Let me tell you, with, with Gedge out and with Chiquinho out, uh, we need his pace. If, if we don't have Gedge or Nerge, or sorry, if we don't have Gedge or Silva, we are severely much slower of a team. Uh, Neresh has pace too. But um, again, Gonzalo Guedes really filled in nicely um, in Rafa's place. Again, that first goal comes from his ability to dribble out of our end um, at pace. Even though he took a heavy touch, he followed it through. He 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 absorbed the tackle, managed to deflect the ball towards an edge, which ended up in our goal. So we really really need that pace especially if we're gonna play this style of football that we play that we love to see Benfica play it's, it's important hopefully he is better and um, in the 87th minute it is Anderson being sent off for Vizella for a bad foul coming in from behind kicking I believe it was Musa that he took down yeah it was it was Petra Musa and then we get Chiquinho's injury in the 89th minute. Um, A real blow to a player who is finally finding his rhythm. A player, listen, who's probably having the moment of his career because we all agree that he's not a long-term solution as a a first-11 choice for this team. He knows that. And he's playing way above his level. And um, I used to say this about PZ. Every season, there was a point in the season where PZ played way above his actual ability and he he managed it was like a wave he could ride it for a while and we started to think that that was something he could he could do more consistently than he really could and um, right now Shikinu has been riding that level or oh, you know playing above himself and this is a severe blow for him uh, hopefully he recovers hopefully it's not too bad I know it's not looking good um, the last I read that he is further and further from the team sheet um on Friday as he's just not getting the it's just not recovering and healing the way that we would hope. Um João Neves, Johnny Snows as, as my seven year old calls him, comes on for Shakinyu sees out the rest of the match. In the 90th plus three, we get the penalty. No question about it. Come on. Uh, Grimaldo cuts back. The defender Matias Lakova comes in. He he gets he gets uh he gets Grimaldo's plant leg there's no question about it it's a penalty there there that's a penalty all day in the portuguese league and Joao Mario converts it 2-0 Sayonara. that's the end of it um except this is uh, the cameras don't show it but Roger Schmidt is getting pelted with batteries with with cigarette lighters and eventually with a bottle of water and that's when the manager you know, loses it for a moment against his better judgment, grabs the bottle of water, throws it back at the crowd, and does the, f- the symbol with his two hands, the two zero. I'm cool with that. Uh, the, the taunting part, I'm cool with. He knows he can't throw things. Um, it's, I mean, he he's fortunate that they're, I mean, in, in this world we live in, it wouldn't shock me if, if some super they're going, super they're going, ends up, you know, ch- pressing charges for him for assaulting him with a weapon, for throwing a bottle at him, um, and just you know, despite the joke that is the Portuguese justice system, um, it would be something that would drag Roger Schmidt's name through the mud. Um, he sees the red card. We don't see why at the time. Thankfully, Manfikistas are in the are in the stand, and um, there's plenty of video all over social media showing just what kind of treatment Roger Schmidt was getting. And as João Gonçalves said in his Fever Pitch podcast this week, this is why we can't have good things in Portugal. This is why we can't have good managers. This is why we don't sign good players anymore, top players, why they don't want to come here. Because this is why every promising young player is in a hurry to get out of this league and they'll go play in the English Championship or they'll go play for low you know bottom of the table mid table clubs in germany and in spain because this is the way we treat this is the this is the culture of football in portugal this is embarrassing and even worse here when you have a a club and a fan base that has a monopoly over the when so many teams in the league are in their metropolitan area in surrounding metropolitan areas They can easily get to so many of these away matches and and pose as fans of these clubs and basically do what they can to destabilize us, to root against us. And here they're trying to get after the manager, a manager who has been nothing but classy all season, a manager who has not said a bad word about anyone, not even about Porto, not even about Sergio Conceição, who didn't shake his hand, okay, and who tried to trip him, I mean, he, This manager has kept it cool. He's been polite. He has been classy to everyone. This is still the treatment he gets from these Neanderthals that support that club to the point where they go to matches that don't involve their club to root against us and make scenes like this. And again, I said, the Portuguese justice system is a joke. You think anyone got arrested? You think anyone even got kicked out of the stadium? Of course not. Roger Schmidt is the only one that saw any kind of penalty for his behavior. On that evening in Vizella. It's it's embarrassing. It is um, shameful. And again. And João Gonçalves says at best. This is why we can't have good things. Looking at the goal point then. Alright. Um, Vizella 1.1 xG. They didn't capitalize on that. They underperformed that. Um, but again. that That's taking into account that ball off the bar. That was most likely offside. The goalkeeper, keeper, Buntic, 5.9. Igor Julian 4.4. Bruno Wilson was their best player, 6.4. Anderson, 4.1. Of course, he was sent off. Kiki was 5.8. Nuno Moreira, 5.1. Rafael Guzu, 4.9. Claudio Mead, 4.7. Samu, 6.1. Kiku Bondozu uh, 4.9. And Osmajic, 6.3. Off their bench, Ortiz, 5.6. Lakava 3.6. Mendez, 5.0. And Mateusz and team 5.0 as well. For Benfica, with a team average of 6.13, 1.7 XG, so overperforming it a little bit. Blanco Dimos, 5.9. Ba, 5.9. Antonio Silva, 5.7. Otamendi, 6.1. Grimaldo, 5.9. Gedge 6.4. Aushin is 5.6. Florentino 6.1. Joel 6.7 with two goals. Uh, Ned is still, however, the goal point man of the match with the 7.1 rating. Not one of Joe best matches. But again, these are this is where championships are won. When you're not playing well yet when the moment is there and you have to capitalize and you have to finish, you get the job done. Joe gets it done with the one opportunity on goal that he got. And then he didn't let the previously missed penalty affect him. He stepped up with confidence and buried the, the pin at the end to get himself two goals. He's now the league leader in goals. He's leading the, the golden boot race right now. Nobody, and I mean nobody, would have predicted João Manu to be the top goal scorer in the Portuguese league at week 22. What do the largatus think about that? Oh, uh, yes. Yes. Take that goal sheet. Sporting fans read it and weep the top goal scorer is your former player. Uh Gonçalo Ramos gets a 6.9, Chiquinho off the bench 5.4. Okay, a few statistics. Shots 11 to 9 in favor of Benfica. Shots on goal 6 to 3 in favor of of Benfica. Actions in the opponents uh area 23 to 21 advantage for Vizela. We almost never lose this this statistic. So that is telling. Vizela did a lot of work um, and they gave themselves plenty of opportunities. But that also means we defended to between the goalkeeper and the defense, we we still kept a clean sheet in spite of all that. Pass efficiency, 85% to 72 in our favor. Um pass efficient vertical pass efficiency, a very high 70% for Benfica on the vertical pass. Uh, defensive actions in the opponent's midfield slight advantage for Benfica 19 to 14 uh fouls 14 to 10 it was uh Vizella with more fouls Benfica 58% uh possession um again just moving down some of the other factors here um looking at the looking for the passing totals but again, a tough match. And credit to Vizela. Sometimes we like to just blame our team when they don't play well. But there is a team on the other side. And they did a good job in this match. They they had us well studied. And looking at the past tendencies, Otamendi to Grimaldo from center to left was the most common one. Uh, 16 times that pass was made. While Otamendi to Antonio Silva was 15 uh, times that that pass was completed. And know. Oto- Antonio to Otamendi, 14 times. Um, a little further down the list, or the next one on the list, I should say, Grimaldo to Otamendi, 12 times. And finally, a midfielder gets in on it where Grimaldo to Auschnitz, 11 times. A lot of lateral passes in this one. Uh, not a lot of space to pass forward. Yes, we had a good vertical pass efficiency, um, but I, much fewer actual vertical passes. Uh Nedj as we said, was the man of the match. His heat map is where you would expect it, and the left flank or in the left center channel is where it's it's most heated up. One shot on goal, one assist, um, two opportunities ch- uh, created, four passes that ended in a shot, and uh, a ninety-three percent pass efficiency for David Nedge. Okay, let's uh, let's take a look uh, around the league now. Uh, around the Liga Portugal this round 22. Of course, we already know Porto's result, but uh, I'm going to say it again anyway when I get to it. I I enjoy every moment of giving Porto's result uh, this week. And I said this has been, I mean, I couldn't have asked for a better birthday. Benfica win and Porto lose. All right. So looking at the results for the entire round that started on Friday. Uh, family Famalicão, excuse me, 1-0 winners over Portimonense. Roca, 2-0 winners over Casa Casapia Casa Pia on the slide now uh, as Oroca jumps over them in the table. Maritimo win the, uh, the Battle of the Islands. 3-1 over Santa Clara. Santa Clara falling into the relegation zone. I think I said it last episode. I think Santa Clara is not surviving this season. I think they're going to end up in last place when it's all said and done. Uh, for the sake of the league... And for attendances, we need we need Maritu and Pastor Vajeda to stay in the league. Um, worst case scenario would be if they're replaced by you know a a um um uh, Vienna. I'm forgetting now the name of the team in the second division. But anyway, I, <laughs> there's a team in the second division that doesn't even have a stadium that averages less than a hundred fans a game, and they're they're fighting for a promotion spot and um. They're from Vila Franca, de Sheena, and I can't remember their name right now. Vila Franca, there we go. And uh, they are fighting for promotion. And can you imagine first division games at the Rio Mayor Training Center? Uh, I mean, just it'd be a disaster. Um, But Maritimo with a huge, huge three points here. And then, as we know, Vizela, nil, Benfica 2 on Sunday. Ave 1-0 winners over Shavsh. Passos de Freira unable to keep the winning ways going. They lose at home 3-1 to a good Bovisha side-to-side. We saw on Monday that is dangerous. And then, of course, the great result, Porto 1, Gil Vicente 2 on Sunday. Monday's action, Sporting, 2-0 winners over Estoril. Estoril now, uh, their form is worse in the last five than both Maritimu and then, uh, then Pastor Zofreira, uh, there, there's a possibility they could find themselves in the drop zone and we could see, you know, both Maritimu and Pastor Ferreira at least out of the zone. And one of them going in to that playoff, um, the next round of fixtures start on Friday, March the 3rd, Boavista hosts Roca. That's a 7 p.m. Portuguese Standard Time kickoff. Uh, 2 p.m. here in the United States on the East Coast, 11 Pacific. Then it's Benfica at 9 15 p.m. in Portuguese uh, Portuguese Time. 4 15 Eastern, 1.15 Pacific, hosting Family Cone. That match is on BTV and on Goal TV. I believe I'm double checking that right now for you. Uh, yes, BTV and Goal TV will have that one. And then Saturday, Isturil hosts Vizela. For a three thirty in the afternoon match, uh, six p.m. Portimonense hosts Sporting, and then in the nightcap at eight thirty p.m. Portuguese time, we have Chaves hosting Porto. And um, I'm not expecting any more favors, but uh, maybe Chaves has been tough at home. Sporting had a hard time with them just a, a week ago, now uh, or two weeks ago, I should say. So perhaps, perhaps Porto can be under. Pressure. They'll be without Mateo Uribe and be without Joao Mario. So, and how how weird is that? Of all the players to be sent off, it's Joao Mario who. So one guy on that team, I think is. Uh, I don't think I have any issues with. I think he plays the game the right way, but uh, handling the ball in the way he did, the VAR decided that it was a sending off. Uh, we'll see how they recover this week. How they regroup. Sunday's matches. Gil Vicente hosting uh, Maritimo in in Barcelos after their big win. Will it be a hangover after that big win? They kick off at 3.30 p.m. Portuguese time on Sunday. Then in the islands in the Assurge, in in Ponta Delgada, it is Santa Clara hosting Vitoria Guimarães. Um, Sporting Braga hosting Rio Ave. And Casa Pia hosting Pasos de Ferreira on Monday. Let's look at attendances really quick. This is a new thing that, that, as you know, I like looking at. Uh, some of the big ones this weekend, obviously. Uh, Porto had 30, 35,509 for their home match uh, against uh, Gil Vicente, which was a birthday party for Pep of sorts. Uh, and uh, they're a good almost 8,000 below their average attendance. Uh, um another good house. Maritimu this week had 9,312, 2,000 more than their average attendance. Now here's a team battling relegation, and their supporters are coming out and they are and they are supporting the team and they are going to the stadium. Um, again, this would be a big loss to the Portuguese First Division, um, especially in terms of attendance and representation as well if 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 all of a suddenly we have no madeira teams and if suddenly we have uh you know a team replacing them that does not average you know almost 8000 fans a game and climbing 75% occupancy rate are very very good they have a higher percentage uh occupy a higher occupation percentage than Spartan by considerable Okay, Sparthing's average attendance this season is twenty eight thousand eight hundred forty eight. Only fifty seven point one five percent of their um, of their stadium is is occupied. Uh, Maritimo, on the other hand, seventy five percent. Okay, that those were two good houses. Obviously, Vizella had their best house of the season, um, getting five thousand eight hundred and seventy two. And their average was. 3,248. So they you know, nearly doubled it. They're 400 people away from doubling their average. Some other attendances that probably weren't as good. Aroca has a big 2-0 win over Casa They're moving and inching towards the European sp- places. And they get 1,071 fans at their stadium. 35.42%. Just atrocious. Absolutely atrocious. I would love to know, you know, really, why is there not an initiative with the league and with these clubs to find out what is keeping people away from these stadiums and addressing that? Um, Fumley Co. on Friday had a house of three thousand, just under 3,000. They averaged 3,700, so uh, a little bit of a drop, but they do have a 71% uh, average occupancy as well. And Passers de Five thousand four hundred and six uh fans at this one. Again, above their average. Um they averaged 4334. They picked up 5406. The Pacenses are gonna fight to the end. They're gonna support their team to the end. Um so we'll see how that how that plays out over the last 12 rounds of the season. Okay. Table. In the table now, as you know, this is up by the way now on www.mrbenfica.com. It is up to date. Benfica fifty nine points, Porto fifty one, Braga forty nine. They missed uh, a golden opportunity to to catch uh, to catch uh, Porto and go into second place. And I did I miss their result? Did I miss reading off their result? They were beaten two to one at the Dom Alphonse Rich by their arch rivals Guimarães, on Monday. And again, I'm disappointed with Goal TV not showing this match, okay? Uh, I don't understand why Gold TV did not show this match. This is a big match. These are two teams that actually have their own fans. For all I've said, and for as critical as I was of the way uh, home matches at Prague have been been uh, handled, they still have a lot more fans. They and, G- and Victoria have a lot more fans than anybody else outside the big three. Uh, this is a big derby. And uh, their house for this one, okay, 19,072, almost 20,000 fans. Still, though, um, well, I shouldn't say still. It is it is 5,000 more than their season average of 14,000. And even for Vittoria Guimarães, only a 48% average occupation at the Dom Alphonse Enrique. That, to me, is maybe the biggest, uh, most puzzling thing uh, statistic is their average attendance. of this season, they are one of the best, better supported fans. Oh, sorry, one of the better supported clubs. I'm sorry, it's getting late, and I'm mixing my words here. But um, I they're a team. I don't see why they don't have twenty thousand fans a game. Um, they are such a loyal fan base. Something is not right in Portuguese football, and a lot of it has to do with match times, weeknight. This the biggest rivalry you know, of the weekend, and they're playing on Monday night at, at, you know, Monday night at 9.15 at night. So that makes that number of 19,072 even better. Um, this game, I know I know, Braga played uh, on Thursday. This game should have been played on Sunday. I mean, the, 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 the premier league teams and the Bundesliga teams that played on Thursday played on Sunday. Uh, I think we need to stop putting matches on Monday. I think matches on Monday in general are bad for business. Okay. And I understand when Benfica is in the Europa league, that it it is beneficial to us, especially when in a title race, but, um, what's best for football is not always what's best for your big clubs. And, Guess what? Our our league does not perform well in Europe anyway as a whole. We are, I think we're seeing the last of three teams, you know, three places in the Champions League or two and a half places, if you will. Uh, that's going to reduce because these clubs are not competing in the other competitions. It's just not happening. And um, Portugal's ranking is going to continue to drop. But, uh, yeah, so Guimarães now fifth with 37 points, okay, chasing Spartan. They are seven points behind Sporting. Braga third, like I said, with 49. Roca in sixth place, which as long as either Porto or Braga win the cup, that is a spot in the, Euro, in the Europa Conference League, which they probably won't get through the preliminary stages because they'll run into... Into a Tottenham or run in well not it'll be Newcastle or somebody like that next season or they'll run in to you know an Italian representative uh, into an Atalanta, one of the power leagues, and probably not get to the group stage anyway. But it's still something to play for. They sit in sixth right now, thirty three points, one better than Casapia in seventh, who have thirty two. Bovista eighth. They're not. They're not that far away either from that sixth place, which I, which will be, in my prediction, will be a Europa Conference League spot. Um, Boavista have twenty nine. Rio have twenty seven. So do Family Vizela, Visella eleventh with twenty sixth. Portimonense also on twenty sixth. So is Shabsh, and so is Gil Vicente. You have four teams on twenty six points, and then. You've got the teams that are in trouble. 15th place is Istoril, 22 points. They continue to skid. Maritimo up to 16th. They're out of the relegation zone for now and in the playoff spot. 16 points, one better than Santa Clara, who continue to just lose week after week. Uh, Santa Clara right now. And I hate saying this because I it's just like with Maritimo. It's so important for Santa Clara to stay in the league, even though their attendance numbers are in the toilet this year. It's important for the, the Azores to be represented in the league. Um, and I just don't see it unless there's a major turnaround here this season. There you got 15 points, three better than de Ferreira right now, but I have a lot of confidence in uh, Cesar Peixoto and in de Ferreira. They have an identity. They have a a team dynamic and I do believe they can play their way out of this relegation zone with 12 rounds to play I think they can play their way at th- the very least to that 16th spot and give themselves a chance in a playoff against the second division's third place team all right lastly let's look at the top goal scorers because we got two guys at the top and it is João Mariu, yes, João Mariu leading the way. Uh, maybe Joshinho there uh, from from the Portuguese boys can tell me what uh, the odds are that João Mariu would win the Golden Boot this year. I wonder how much the casinos would be given out for someone willing to wager that. Uh, second place right now: Gonçalo Ramos, thirteen goals. Same as uh, Fran Navarro of Gil Vicente, who, interestingly enough, scored against Porto, a team everyone has accepted. And I had read he was going to next season. And then the president of Porto uh, says he's never heard of the guy. Well, he's heard of him now. Uh, Teremi is fourth with 12 goals, also pot with 12 as well. And rounding it out, it is uh, Bovic's Nije with 10 all right that's gonna do it i've gone over uh i've gone over for uh this week on the way out though let's hear from roger schmidt here's a couple of his comments uh that closed in the pro uh, so a couple of his comments from the post game presser uh the beauty of having him speak in english is that i don't have to translate anything for you guys so uh We'll go out with uh, a few comments, not all of them, but just some of the comments from uh, Roger Schmidt in the post game presser, and then with that lovely chant, "U Benfica Benfica won. We are top of the table, eight points clear. Uh, Friday will there will be more. There's more content coming your way. Um, Liga tres English dropped earlier today. That's in the podcast feed. Do check it out. All right, another big week in that league. Uh, has gone by as things really heat up there. And again, I owe you guys a women's uh, episode. Uh, my goal is to get that done by Saturday because they play on Sunday. Uh, they're traveling to Longueville, Verdes this, this Sunday. That match is on Canalons. It's uh fourteen fifty-five, two fifty-five p.m. kickoff time in Portugal, which makes it a nine fifty-five a.m. time here on the East Coast, five fifty-five a.m. If you want to wake up early on the West Coast, um, you can catch it there. All right. I'll be back in the next episode. Uh, I'll record that as soon as I can and be back with more content for you here on Mr. Benfica. Don't forget, check out www.mrbenfica.com and follow the social media uh, all the links are in the show notes, and I'll see you next time. Carrega Benfica, Forza Benfica. Remember the hashtag is, if you love football, you love Benfica. Damu 38. I'll see you next time.
1: Good evening, Mr. Roger Schmidt. Uh, Good what evening. is your opinion about this match? Yeah, a very difficult uh, match for us, So, but it's like what we expected before the match. I think Vizela showed that it's very difficult to play against them. So they are brave, they are very good in transition moments. So I think we also needed a little bit luck at, in some moments uh, of the game. But at the end, we scored in the first half and then it um, was not a perfect game for us. But at the end, also these matches you have to win. Huh? Especially these matches you have to win. The difficult ones and also when you are not in uh, not. Um, completely um, balanced regarding the defensive stability Um, but I think um, at the end we deserve to win today and so it was a big step for us. Yeah, I react a little bit on the um, provocation of the of the supporters behind me so it's not allowed so i accept the red card that's it